Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Welcome back, everybody, to the Business Chef Podcast, and thank you for joining us yet again. And today, a special continuation of our last show, the second half of Mr. Carl Sokia, the man, the myth, the legend. Carl shared a lot about HR and HR practices in the last show, and this show we dive a little bit deeper into what exactly the future of HR is. Now, why are we talking about HR on a food podcast? Because it only gets more and more difficult to hire people. And for those of you in big institutions who deal with HR on a regular basis, it's incredibly important to figure out how to speak the language and how to get them to get you. Because a lot of times it's not that they don't want to help, it's that they just don't quite understand what they can do to help. So with that in mind, enter Carl Sukia. There's two things that have that have had all these studies with Gallup and, and so on. They've said the future generations, whether this be millennials or centennials, they're looking for two things in jobs. And that you can you I'd if you learn nothing else in this podcast, take these two things home with you. They want great leaders and they want to work with great teams. That's all it matters. Your brand doesn't matter. The the you know the status and cachet of your goal your glass door doesn't matter. They'll look at it and they'll use it as a point of reference, but it's not the, it's not, that's not the key indicator. It's the leader they work for, what kind of community they create and what kind of team you have. They want to be with people. Let me show you an example. Recently in the NBA, I think they've had a great case study. So in the, in the NBA this last season, you had a team, the Toronto Raptors. This is the, the team that nobody's cared about. They're in Canada. They're, they're never been a great team. And they end up getting, acquiring a player called named Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard goes up there from Centennial. It's a really freak thing. They trade him up there. He's up there, plays a full season. They win a national championship. Crazy. They were in this world NBA championship for the first time, and nobody was expecting to win a championship. So this guy becomes now in the conversation of the best NBA player ever. What's interesting is, at the end of this championship, he was a free agent. So now he gets to go on the road and choose where he wants to go. So he has the opportunity to go back to Toronto where he just won this championship, which I don't think he was really enthused about. But then guess who came knocking? The Boston Celtics, one of the most storied legacy programs in the United States of America, home of Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and the great Danny Ainge. Everybody knows Boston Celtic basketball, historic. The Los Angeles Lakers, the greatest team on the earth, in my opinion. <laughs> so, but you look at the Lakers, cache team, you know, oh, banners, you know, the LA lights, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, you know, it's just this Hollywood LA team. The New York Knicks made a huge play for him. Come to New York, be in the garden, do this whole deal. You can resurrect, you know, our awesomeness because we haven't been really relevant, but we still have a brand. Come to New York, be in the big city, New York lights. And then who was the last team that was really after him? The Los Angeles Clippers, the bastard stepchild brother of the Los Angeles Lakers that get teased, don't even have their own building. <laughs> right. And they had a right. racist owner that they had to fire right. from the team. Okay. So where does Kawhi go? He ends up selecting 
the Los Angeles Clippers. But why did he choose the Los Angeles Clippers? That's my question to you. So who is the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers now? Steve Ballmer, former CEO of Microsoft. He has dumped tons of money into the Los Angeles Clippers. He's going to build them a new stadium, brand new stadium of their own. He's tried to get good talent there. He's paid good money, Blake Griffin and the Chris Pauls. And he sits on the sideline and he's bald, this big bald guy pumping his fist, his face turning red. He's tried to infuse everything he can into that team from a financial standpoint and from a brand standpoint, trying to really make it so that they're on the same level as, as the Lakers in the same building and not becoming the laughing stuff. So Steve Ballmer is the owner. So he brings in probably uh, one of the greatest player coaches in the history of the NBA, Doc Rivers. Everybody loves playing for Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is, the, they, they, I mean, arguably the greatest player coach that's ever coached the game. Championship winner in Boston. He has kids that play in the NBA, but teams love him because the players love him. They can relate to him. He's a former NBA star, so on. They bring in this great leader. So there's your first thing. Kawhi wanted great leaders. He had a great owner. He's got arguably the greatest player coach you could ask for. Doesn't matter about the brand. Didn't matter about the status and cachet of the organization. He went for leadership. But what was the other thing? Teams. He said, well, you've got great leaders. I need somebody to come with me. So he makes a phone call and says, hey, if I'm going to come, I need a good team around me. I want to be a part of something magical. So they call over to the Oakland, uh, to the Oakland, uh, Oklahoma Thunder and get the Oklahoma Thunder to send over a player to be his teammate who wasn't even on the draft table. He just barely signed a brand new agreement, Right. And he says, if he comes, I'll come to L.A. And they get him. So they've got these two superstars, both L.A. boys, born and born not at Los Angeles, but in Southern California. And one of them's from Riverside. I don't know if Kawhi Leonard is from Moreno Valley. Give a shout out to our home. But it's, you know, these two, these men go out there and now they're projected to win, at least be in the conversation for the NBA championship. This is a team that doesn't have the cachet, but they've got great leadership and they've got a great team now. And that's what's going to drive. And this is a millennial. The, he has now played out what I've been preaching for the last couple of years, and it's unfolded right before our eyes. And that's why businesses have to pivot. They've got to focus on this people space because this leadership experience driving your employee experience, people-tivity, that's, the, that's where all the magic happens. So if you can do those two things, the next thing I focus on is, is customer experience, which is you have to go away from transactional and you have to make it more experiential. You've got to say, instead of you, you, know, you give me a service, I give you money and we walk away happy, You've got to create this whole Disney kind of experience for them where you're asking them their name. You remember their name. You care about them. You're, you're giving them side experiences. You have, every customer has to have their individual experience, right? Like a sports team. It's, you know, Nick Saban says this in his championship attitude of football. He says, I want you to line up every play and play that exact play as if that were the one going in the history books. And that play's over. Line up again. Next play. That's the one that goes in the history books. That's how I want you to think. And with customer experience, we got to think the same way. Let's talk, go back to hospitality, front desk. You go to a massive property like the Grand America Hotel in Salt Lake City, Utah, you've got 775 rooms, plus you've got, I mean, you know, 75,000 square feet of conference space. You've got people coming in and out of that place like it's a monster house, but yet the expectation is very high. And I I would say the front desk, listen, I know you're checking in a thousand people a day, but one person checking into a room, they're only doing it once. They're having one experience while you're having a thousand. Remember their experience. That's what's important. So talking about this whole customer experience, I talk about individualizing the process, not making it, um, you know, making it more experiential and transactional and so on. And then if you do all those things well, that's going to drive your, your growth and your, pro, you know, your whole, you know, your business and be able to, you know, scale and so on. So really what it boils down to in four words is your people is going to drive your productivity. 
Your productivity then drives your profitability, which which then drives your prosperity. And those are the four Ps. If you can drive that, and I think we focused a lot on productivity. I think we've focused a lot on profitability over the last 20, 30 years. But because of tech and everything, we've kind of taken our eyes off of the people-tivity piece. You know, we focus a lot on technology and, and streamlining and business and metrics. We've forgotten soft skills. And I think it was, I think it was 90%. So in, in PricewaterhouseCooper had a, has a survey every year for CEOs. 90% of the respondents of their CEO survey say that one of their top concerns, 90%, is the soft skills of their leaders. 90%. That there tells you, we have so much work to do on that people-tivity space. And if you do that well, if you really kill the people-tivity, you are going to thrive in the future of this economy. If you don't, you will be Blockbuster, you will be Kodak, you will be BlackBerry, you'll be all these companies that didn't pivot. Now, theirs were more pivoting around you know, industrial and technology and some of the other things, but they didn't pivot. That was the point. This is this people space. Where now people have a choice where to work. If you're not willing to pivot, you will end up the same as these companies because people won't want to work for you and you're going to become, you're going to become a dinosaur. People are going to want to go where they have great leaders, great teams, and they feel purpose. And that's, I'm telling you, it's going to trump everything. So I think that whole model of people-tivity driving that productivity, which drives your profitability and prosperity, that's what my company does is works with companies, organizations. Number one, I, I'm very careful about vetting my organizations because I'm not just here to be an HR consultant. I want people who really believe this. If they believe it and they want to take care of their people, I'll work with you. I want to come in and help you because I've been able to do it successfully my whole career. I want to share it. But I also don't like lip service. If I can sit with a CEO or a C-suite leader and so on, and they just say, well, I'd like to bring something, you do some training and so on, and they're not looking for the result, then I'm not going to waste anybody's time. I don't want to take their money. I don't want, you know, I don't want, I'll just go on to another organization where I really feel it's going to be, they really want it. And I'm going to give them my everything to make them successful. Because at the end of the day, when I go back to my career, that's how I was successful. It was, I mean, I was in through what, two different union properties and, and I had a lot of success with the union members. And a lot of it was because you care about them. You just take a step back and you don't, you don't negative talk the union. You don't, you just say, come to me before if you have a problem, don't file a grievance until you know, you can, you're more than welcome to file a grievance. You're right. But come to me and let me try to fix it first. Otherwise I fear about a third hand. Then I've got to go and figure it out. And it's just too many hands in the pot. Give me a chance to solve it. If I can't solve it, File your grievance. Go after it oh, and man. do the things. And I'll tell you what, I mean, the grievance has reduced 50%, 75% in a year wow. just from having that attitude. But that kind of gave me the key of this really works. This really works. Well, and, and speaking about the unions, I mean, that's a great example because unions have this stereotype of being very difficult to work with sure. and being, you know, kind of, uh, kind of really holding on to the employees and you know, it's, it's this constant struggle, but I've always told people like, I love working with unions yep. because it's all about communication. Absolutely. If, if you communicate effectively, yep. the union is on your side most of the time. Yeah. And, and it's usually not the union's fault, sure. quote unquote fault that, yeah. you know, some of these issues are happening. It's yeah. individuals. It's your leaders and the individuals. Right. That's true. Absolutely. And so if you can learn to deal with that and learn to communicate through that, then yeah. these issues are non-issues. Yeah. And I think you know, speaking to kind of what you were talking about with the four P's, a lot of, a lot of people, I think, believe this. Sure. I, I think their core is that they believe this. They just don't know how to communicate it. Absolutely. I think exactly what you've done is you've condensed these lessons down into a way 
that it's easily communicated and easily remembered and easily implemented. Sure. And I think that's what makes you different from a lot of other individuals out there is that you've, yeah. you've learned to think differently. Yeah. You've been able to communicate what your thoughts and feelings and, and core values are. Yeah. And now you're starting to see the results of people really gravitating towards it. You know, talk a little bit about some of your speaking engagements and kind of the response that you've gotten, because I can tell you right now, just listening to this, listening to you speak and, and listeners who are going to be hearing this, yeah. you're very engaging, sure. you're, you're, you're passionate. And I think that draws people to you. Sure. So even though you've kind of just started on this journey, yeah. I think you've seen some pretty great success so far. I have. And you know, thanks for that. It's, it's been really a blessing. I, you know, I've been very reactive in all the business that I've booked so far. It's been friends of friends that have said, hey, here's this great guy that has had a lot of success. You should meet with him. And I mean, every business meeting I've gone to to pitch my organization and what I have to offer, which is really through workshops, executive coaching, public speaking, really per se, kind of that little trifecta, they've, it, it's all, they've all loved it. They've all loved it because you're exactly right. I'm preaching a message that people really believe. I think sometimes they also just don't know how to get there. And they don't know if they, they might not even have the right people in the right places to do it. Because like I said, I think HR owns a lot of this. And so I dovetailing into what you just asked me about, I just did a public speaking engagement up at the Utah State Crossroads um, uh, session, which is a two, three day um, big Sherm event for all the HR people in the state of Utah. And they'll get, I mean, you know what, upwards of, you know, maybe maybe a thousand so on people that are up there, a bunch of people for two, three days. And my session was phenomenal. So my whole topic was human experience. And where, where I really focus on the word human experience, when I talk about this experience ecosystem, really what I preach is if you look at the leader experience that I talk about, you look at the employee experience and you look at the customer experience, all of those really overlap. <laughs> I don't know why we think that you have to teach two totally separate principles for your employee experience and your customer experience. It's the same soft skill premise. Treat people well, be kind, have empathy, you know, be vulnerable. It's, you know, love them. Same thing. If you do that to all three of those categories, you're going to win. And so I said, this is what the human experience is. It's not rocket science. Instead, we're talking about, okay, well, you do this, use this, the four P's and all these other. No, just learn the soft skills of caring about people. Customers love to be cared about. So do employees. The leaders do. I mean, it intertwines. And that's where one of those overlap. I talk about this human experience concept. So I, I named this breakout session, human experience, thinking differently about the future of work. And I had, you know, close to 100, 150 people or so, standing room only. People were sitting in front of the people that were standing. And I was thinking, what in the world? How come all these people are coming <laughs> into my session? Like, wow. And I deliver a 60-minute presentation all on this same concept. I talk about it from an HR standpoint, saying, you want to know your value? And so, I mean, I share a data such as, you know, in this PricewaterhouseCooper um, survey, CEO survey that I'd mentioned, 60% of CEOs say, hey, we need to blow up HR and restructure it. And I, and then in 2015, Harvard Business Review, the cover of their magazine was, time to blow up HR. And there was a bunch of articles inside the magazine. So we, it's not a secret, but you've got good HR people, right? They just don't know what they need to do. Right. They're used to payroll. They're comfortable. I do payroll. I do recruiting. I came up through, you know, whatever. They just don't know where to pivot. And then CEOs, they don't know what we do. They just like the fact that they don't have to answer complaints or do investigations. <laughs> that's really what it is. I mean, we right. do their benefits. People get paid. They, that, that's what they see us as. And it's not not all CEOs. I shouldn't blanket everybody. But that's really what we are. We're a weird function they don't want to explain. So if you go to a CEO and say, hey, look, I agree. Let's blow up HR and let's rethink it. What do you think they're going to tell me? Well, I don't know. I don't know. They're hoping that we're the good. And whenever they ask, we want HR to be a good business partner. They want us to tell them what they need. They right. want us to be their psychologist. They want to say, 
okay, I'll help you, but I need you to tell me what you need. And HR people are going, I don't know, I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So yeah. there's this weird relationship going, okay, you go do it and I'll support you. And we're going, okay, tell me what you want me to do. And everybody's lost. So when I go and I spoke in front of this group of 150 people, I mean, Sean, it was it blew me away. I mean, I, I probably took 100 business cards and every single one of them were gone. And people were just, and I got a couple pieces of business out of it the next week. People saying, come talk to my company. I don't care what you talk about. Just I, this, we want this. We need to focus on this. And our, our leaders need a reminder. We need some direction. I said, I'd love to work with your team. Tell me about your company. So I went up and gave this, I delivered this whole, this whole speech and it was wonderful. I mean, it's because I think I gave, what I did is I instilled people in people what their value can be. Here's the roadmap on your value. Your value is going to come through being a people whisperer. You need to understand the psychology of what underlies, what motivates people, what inspires them, what's at their core. Teach leaders how to focus on that. Because leaders, they're good. They just don't know what, they don't focus on that. They focus on the metrics and all these other things. Teach them how to humanize their life and humanize their people. And then once you can be a partner with that, because a lot of leaders, they don't look at HR as a strategic partner. You know, I was was on a panel today um, for Salt Lake Sherm with a bunch of CEOs and, and leaders. And the vice president of product development for Weave, a really nice gentleman named Johnny. So Johnny says, you know, I, I wish HR was my partner. Like, I'd love to vet some of these things I need help with, but that's that's what I, I see HR as. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's who we need to be. Yeah. But a lot of people just put HR on the side and like, I don't want to hang out with you. I'll come to you if I have to write somebody up or do a performance review. And we need to figure out how to build that relationship. And it's going to be through value. You're going to need to create your value through teaching people. You need to understand people activity yourself. Then you need to teach it to others. The more you can become the people whisperer, the better value you're going to create for your company because soft skills, know who's focusing on the soft skills in your company. Nobody is. But if you can do that well, holy moly, you're going to be in the room when you're talking about, you know, when product sales come up or when you're talking about service, you know, service uh, standards and all these different things that are customer facing, they're going to want you because you understand the psyche of human beings. You understand what makes them tick. That's where our value is going to come from. And nobody's doing that. Now, it, is it good to understand spreadsheets and budgets and P&Ls and all that? Sure. Finance guys do it. Ops guys do it. Everybody gets it. I'm not saying that those aren't valuable things, but they don't differentiate you. And we need to differentiate ourselves. So understand those things. Those are great concepts. They helped me through my career. But at the same time, be in the space that nobody is, but the, the need is there. And the need for this human experience is there, but nobody's stepping up and owning it. You know, it's just like culture. People say, who really owns culture? Is it the CEO, the HR person? I don't know. That's organic. Nobody owns that. Don't even waste your time. The way you own it is by choosing the right people and putting them in the right positions, creating the right teams, addressing the right challenges, and working through it together. That builds resilience. It builds your team. And that's going to ultimately build your culture. So this, I've had some great speaking events. Um, got another one coming up. I, I just had Utah Healthcare Association. That's another one. Not in a healthcare space. I mean, standing ovation. Hundred and something people there. And there's, and I booked a couple pieces of business off that one. You know, I mean, these aren't HR people. These are just a bunch of healthcare professionals. And I said, I'll tell you what, hospitality starts with hospitals. So you guys are really on the dime. You guys need to be doing this better than we do. I said, the only differentiator between hotels and hospitals is people choose to check into hotels. They're not choosing to check into hospitals, right. but that makes it even more heightened for you. Absolutely. You can really wow people because if I tell you to close your eyes and think about a hospital, what are you going to tell me? Describe a hospital. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, like sterile, weird smells or whatever. And I'm going to talk about it. It's great. Although the food in hospitals is the bomb. Food and beverage teams do it well because the food, a lot of places I go, the chefs are the, are, they're getting a lot of chefs out of the hospitality world and they're just creating great food. But I mean, the experience there can be changed. And so they were, they loved the message. HR, I'm going down and doing a big thing in California next week. I'm doing Zenger Folkman. It was a big training company out of, uh, out of, uh, out of Provo. 
So our, our good friend um, uh, down there uh, uh, is the COO, or I guess is the president of the company, and so going down there and, and doing some stuff with him next month and then it's awesome it'll be fun so that's kind of what i've been doing on speaking but you know i'm open to speak to anybody who wants to hear about this i do you know a lot of speaking engagements whether it be a keynote or a breakout session but i think people enjoy hearing about this because not a lot of people are out there talking about it well and and nobody knows how to quite articulate it like we sure. talked about so i agree with that if someone does hear about this you know whether it's this podcast or sure. they see you speak live or, or any of the social media things that you do what's the best way to get a hold of you how can they have Absolutely. you engage with them smoke signals easiest way i look up at the i look up at the sun <laughs> around 5 p.m every day just give me smoke signals sos yeah. SOK. i think no. i think you need to pivot brother <laughs> i'm not oh so i need to adapt okay i can do this so i think the best ways are you can visit my website so my website is just your https um colon forward slash forward slash um, and it's just xm.solutions xm.solutions and there's no dot com just xm.solutions i was trying to be really hip and some people like i put an xm.solutions.com and it doesn't work nope there is no dot com xm.solutions and that's just short for my company's name which is experience management solutions which is xm is short for experience management so xm.solutions is the website um, also, you can just email me. It's carl at xm.solutions. Carl with a C. It's carl with a C. Thank you. And then phone number 801-201-8965. 801-201-8965 is a cell. You can look me up on social media as well and kind of listen to the message. I share it a lot on uh, whether it be Instagram or Facebook. You can just look up any of those areas. It's just Carl Sokia. There's only one of me in the entire world. C-A-R-L-S-O-K-I-A. And I'm on all the social medias. I'm on Twitter. Twitter, I talk about a lot of BYU football, so you just have to be careful there. <laughs> but at the same time, um, another great place is I have a podcast, um, and my podcast is called The Human Experience. And I've been doing this for about three months now, and we, we've had about 15, 16 guests on so far. And this it's been a, very, it's been a real labor of love for me because we don't only talk about um, a, a lot of HR-type things. We talk about business and the workplace and the future of work. And I've got some episodes where it's just me rambling on about human value and human worth and my journey coming kind of from, you know, starting from the bottom and, and trying to work my way up in my career um, and being a family man as well. So I kind of intertwine that in. But the other episodes are really trying to give people a viewpoint of how life looks from other people's eyes. And it's it's been a real fun venture. I had one football player from the University of Utah. He's graduated a few years ago. He's a personal trainer now, hustler, but moved here from South Central Los Angeles. Parents were both, you know, involved in, in you know, some illegal activity and hustling down in California. Um, a lot of his friends have died, you know, of gunfire and gangs and problems and and so on. He ended up coming to the University of Utah with his cousin on a recruiting trip, and uh, they offered him a scholarship, oddly enough, because he also played football, and he came to Utah, played his seasons, and then never turned back. And it's just really beautiful to hear life out of his eyes, because I've never lived in South Central Los Angeles and, and seen those things. And But, I mean, just the way he articulates, you know, it's beautiful to watch families walk around in Salt Lake, because I never had that. I never understand, you know, how quiet it is in Utah you don't hear gunshots or helicopters and you're thinking, wow, I've never looked at life through that kind of lens. I have a close friend of mine named Callahan Williams who his daughter was diagnosed with a, a disease, a neurological disease called metachromatic leukodystrophy and her whole body just shut down when she was three and they said she'll pass away in the next year. She ended up living to be 10. He was raising awareness for her and you know they were trying to cater to her and as she was growing, having all the challenges, her whole body just shut down, but her brain worked at 100%. Oh, They're doing man. all these great things. And then he's riding in a bike race for his nonprofit that he built um, and ends up getting hitting a cattle garden and becoming quadriplegic. Oh, wow. And you're thinking, what in the world's going on? Then he ends up walking. And he says, there's no way you're going to walk. He ends up walking again. He still has a challenge walking. But you just hear his story, and then he's talking about coping. 
He said, men are just not built to cope. Like we're just, we just stay strong and we never talk about our problems and our feelings. And he goes, now I'm at a point in my life where I'm kind of having some challenges with that. So I've had to, you know, talk to some people and you're like, wow, but this is what the human experience is. These are the people we work with. They're in our communities. They're in our churches. They're, you know, in our businesses, they're everywhere. And I, I, I just want to give people very unique and distinct viewpoints into different people's lives. Cause you can look at anybody and say, oh, wow, look at Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt you know, these people are movie stars and they're great. Or you can look at The Rock and say, wow, this guy's a big famous movie star or an athlete or whatever. They've got problems just like you and I, and they're facing it. And the greatest thing I've learned is just understanding we're all human beings trying to fight this battle, you know, alongside each other is a real breath of fresh air, you know? But I think sometimes we lose that mindset when we're in leadership roles because we're thinking, oh, my job is to lead and be the, you know, king or queen of my role. And we forget we're humans too. And we make mistakes. And so, I, the podcast is called The Human Experience featuring Carl Sokia. And so you can get that in anywhere podcast stream. And if you just put Carl Sokia in your search engine, you can download those episodes. But and like I said, 16 episodes deep. I would absolutely encourage everybody to go hear that because as you can tell, he's got a lot to say. I'm a, very, I talk a lot. And it's very, very insightful and inspiring. And we're we're grateful for you sharing your insights and inspiring us today. Sean, I appreciate you having me on, brother. It means the world. Now, how can you just not absolutely be inspired by this man? This man who is risking it all to go out on his own, to do his own thing, to make the human experience happen. Special thanks to Carl Sokia for being with us the last couple weeks. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.